0: If you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word in the pew, there is a Bible there. And you can turn to page 826. If you would, if you would stand as we read together Galatians chapter 6, 6 through 10 together. Again, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you would open it up. Or if you have a pew Bible, you can open that up as well. Galatians chapter 6, 6 through 10. And let me read this for you this morning. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help your word infiltrate our hearts? Would we be led by it, taught by it? Would it be the chief authority of our lives? Let the words of my mouth, Lord, and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. Be with us in these next few moments. God, our time, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. This is our goal this morning. Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You tack that on to where we were last week about reaping and sowing, and this is where we find ourselves in faithful generosity part two. All right, so I think realistically, I don't need to spend a lot of time talking about what makes us weary and if we're weary. We got that part down really well, right? Right? We understand what it means to be weary. You know that famous line of that Christmas song, the weary world rejoices, right? We feel it, we know it. We're a weary world. There's a lot of weariness to be had in our world today. Between sicknesses that either we have or we endure, the sicknesses of people who are around us that we walk beside and pray often for their healing, Whether it's grief or imminent death that is around the corner or grief that we have experienced and we are still walking through the weariness and the heaviness of it. Whether it's cancer journeys and cancer battles that we're walking with and alongside people or we ourselves are enduring. Job struggles. Whether it's prodigal people whether it's children or grandchildren, our parents, our grandparents, who have seemed to gone prodigal in their ways and the heaviness that we walk beside and the prodigal people that we walk beside. The clashing of cultural forces that seem to be so at odds with one another and odds with our Christian faith. The weariness of cultures clashing. The weariness of watching as the world and wars rage all around The weariness of political mess, if that's the best word that I can find to use for politics, the mess that is around us. The financial issues, the relationship struggles, and the working towards exhaustion. We have every reason to feel exhausted and weary. You could add and tack on multitudes of adjectives and things and situations and circumstances that would cause and lead towards your weariness and exhaustion. And so by Christmas, we would say this weary world rejoices. It's why I think Paul uses such a fantastic analogy when he talks about God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow because sowing itself is a difficult process. I am about as far from a farmer as you could possibly imagine. But I know enough to know that that is a hard job. When you get out in the hot sun in the early morning, you begin to to get the ground ready and till the soil and you plant the seeds and you get out at harvest time and you pull everything and you get everything together. That is a difficult, difficult job. And you look at what Paul is giving to the Galatians. Reaping, sowing, the weariness of the world. And so this morning, Paul is going to combat two things. Do not grow weary and do not give up. You know, in essence, as I've told you many times, that could be my sermon. Hey, guys, don't grow weary, don't give up. Now y'all get out of here, have a good rest of your day. And some of you, weary world, rejoicing, you'd be pumped, right? But i got like 20 more minutes, so you got to bear with me, right? So let me give you not just what to do, but how to do it. Right. If we know, do not grow weary and don't give up, the question that you may be asking, it's a better question, is how? I get it, I'm not supposed to grow weary, I'm not supposed to give up, but how? I mean, look at what we're up against. Look at all the weariness that's around us. How do we not give up? How do we not grow weary? Because ultimately, growing weary causes us to give up. So let's look at this together. Number one on your outline is thwart weariness in community. Thwart weariness in community. Now, I want you to look at your Bible because there's a a really important uh, turn that Paul makes when he's given us these passages. I want you to look at verses 7 and 8, and then I want you to see if you notice any difference in the language that Paul uses starting in verse 9. In verse 7 and 8, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for the one who sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows into his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. And then look in verse 9. I want you to take a highlighter, a pen, whatever you got there, and I want you to see how often Paul uses we and us in together language. Verse 9. And let us... Not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. I think Paul is reminding, first and foremost, himself, but also the Galatians, the nature of living in community to thwart the weariness that we feel. That God has so ordained it and so set it up in our favor that we would live as believers in community with one another because we live in a weary world that our natural proclivity is to be weary and to throw in the towel. But this is not it. You also see, if you turn your, put your finger in your Bible and Bible drill on over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 for a moment, if you could. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, you'll see that the writer of Hebrews is very also in congruency with Paul when he would say these words. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Can you do that by yourself? Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith, for he who promised is faithful. It gives me a mental image of believers standing, holding the rope, right? Tug of war, holding fast to that rope, pulling with all their might. And you know as well as I do, the more people you have on your side of the rope than the other people have on the other side of the rope, the better chance you got of pulling that rope to your side. You hold fast and you pull together. You're pulling together, holding fast to it, holding on to it for dear life. And you're doing it together with the people who are around you, holding fast to that confession. Hebrews continues on and says, let us hold fast to the confession and let us consider. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near." God has rigged this thing in our favor. He has given us the local church, the body of believers, that when we grow weary, we come into a place and a people where we find encouragement and rooting on and cheering on, saying, You can do it. Let's go together. Keep going. Well, y'all, but I played uh, some sports in high school, and I loved playing basketball at our gym. Oh, I loved it. I'd played there for years, grew up as a coach's son, so I knew every nuance of the rim. i would grown under the bleachers as a kid. I knew that place in and out. But there was something about when our team was playing a rival and you'd hit that three-pointer or that free-throw shot and to hear your crowd yell out from the bleachers your name and your team's name, man, it would get you fired up. Some of you attended a football game in the past few weeks, and of your team, and you've gone and sat in that stadium with a multitude of your fans screaming out your team's name. And man, by the end of the game, you feel like I'm ready to suit it up, coach. Let's go! I'll, I'll be out there. I'm ready to go. There, there's something about home field advantage. I mean, yesterday, we drove home from being out of town, and we listened to the Auburn game, and uh, the the Four hours before the game starts, you got the commentators who are talking about every conceivable aspect of the game for hours on end. You're talking about what the players ate the day before and how it's going to affect their game. Right? You're talking about every possible thing that could happen in the outcome of the game. Four hours before, you get to game time and commentators talk about every possible thing that's happening on the field. And then after the game, you spend time four hours dissecting everything that you just watched happen on TV. One of the things they talk about is home field advantage. Man, the crowd was into it. The crowd forced a lot of turnovers. The crowd got the guys fired up. You could tell there's a difference in the guys. There's electricity in the team as they played because they were on their field, their turf, being cheered on by their teammates. We thwart weariness in community. When we're in community with our people, cheering one another on, saying, You got this. When you're tired and weary, you're cheering for rooting one another on. You got this. Keep going. Keep sowing the seeds. Keep planting. Keep harvesting. Keep going. We thwart this weariness that we feel and we face. Let us not grow weary of doing good, which on the flip side would mean, brothers and sisters, that there are people all around us who are weary and exhausted. And so be it on us as strong believers when those weary brothers and sisters who are all around us are struggling in their faith that we are the ones saying, you got this. Keep going. Keep pressing in. Keep marching forward. You got this. Let me hold your arm. Let me hold your other arm. Let me walk with you through this Christian journey, this Christian life, this thing that you're facing together. It's incumbent on us as believers to walk beside one another and to thwart the weariness that is natural in our flesh in community with one another. Paul gives it as clear as can be. Let us, brothers and sisters, not grow weary in our doing good. But move to number two for a moment, that we wait patiently for the harvest. The Bible says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season." Now, I love Paul's analogy, and I'm not about to say he used a bad one, but I'm going to tell you what frustrates me about this analogy for a moment. It's what frustrates you, I'm sure, as well. See, with a farming analogy, the farmers have kind of an opportunity to understand what's going on. I did a little research because I don't know any of this off the top of my head, but I learned about corn. I learned when you plant corn, you, you, you have all the different things that you got to do uh, or the right season to plant the corn, and you know once the seed is in the ground that you've got several months and pretty much an exact point that you know in this many months corn is going to spring forth. And at this point, at this predictable date, you can expect to go out and call the guys together and go harvest the corn. There's predictability to the farming schedule. You've got the farm, fa- farmer's almanac You've got rain patterns. You've got cycles. You know about planting. And you know the particular crops that you're growing. You know what's going to come out of it. And you know when it's going to come. You know when that harvest is coming. And so you call all your friends together and say, hey, hey, everybody, the harvest is coming. It's time to go get the crops. It's time to go get the corn. Everybody come together. We're going to need all hands on deck because it's time due season has arrived. One of the most difficult things about the Christian experience and about sowing and reaping is that the Bible just gives us a few words for it. Paul says in due season. We don't have a definite timeline. There is no farmer's almanac to know when that season will be. There's no time frame to say in one month you'll experience the harvest. In two months you'll experience. In a year you'll experience. And that's how I so wish to operate. Don't you When I'm praying and sowing to say, Lord, if it's just going to be three more months, so be it. I'll make it three more months. Lord, if it's another year, so be it. I'll make it another year because I know that the harvest is coming in a year. Lord, if it's five years, so be it. I'll wait if I know in five years the harvest is coming. I will be faithful for five more years because I know that it's coming. But all we know scripturally is that the harvest is coming and it's coming in due season. And it can be mighty hard to wait patiently for it. It can be mighty hard to keep sowing and watering and waiting for the harvest. It can be so so painstakingly difficult to plant and plant and plant and plant and plant and plant and say, Lord, when is the due season? As I was reading, I read about a story of William Carey. William Carey is considered the father of modern missions, In 1793, William Carey was sent out by the Baptist Missionary Society from England to go to India. Uh, William Carey had a deep heart for the Indian people, and he was called by God and sent through the Baptist Missionary Society to go to India and preach the gospel in 1793. For seven years, uh, think about that for a minute. Seven years, William Carey preached the gospel week in, week out, Sunday after Sunday. House visit after house visit. Random interaction with people on the streets by random interaction with people on the streets for seven years. William Carey did not see one convert. For seven years, the father of modern missions, preached the gospel, taught Jesus in India for seven years and not one person came to faith. I want you to think about that for a moment. There are times where we go a week without baptizing somebody and I start getting a little antsy. Seven years knowing that he was called by God to go to India and preach the gospel to the Indian people for seven years. My son is seven years old. The entirety of his life, William Carey would have gone and not a single person came to faith in Jesus. William Carey wrote back to his family and several years into that journey, and he said, "'I feel as a farmer does about his crops. "'Sometimes I think the seed is springing, "'and thus I hope. "'A little blasts all. "'And my hopes are gone like a cloud. "'They were only weeds which appeared, "'or if a little corn sprung up, "'it quickly dies, "'being choked with the weeds "'or parched up by the sun of persecution.'" Yet, I still hope in God and will go forth in strength and make mention of his righteousness, even if it's only of his. For seven years, William Carey preached the gospel faithfully. And after seven years, in December of 1800, in the Genghis River, his first Hindu convert, Krishna Paul, gave his life to Jesus and was baptized setting off a revival that happened throughout india i want you to imagine for a moment that william carey after six years feeling the burning calling of the lord to go to india and preach the gospel after six years he said you know what it it must be me six years faithfully preaching the gospel saying you know what not a single person has come to faith i am done and i am out of here would have missed the harvest that was to come. Six years faithfully preaching the gospel. In the seventh year Krishna Paul comes to faith in Jesus and what's happening in India can be traced back to what happened with William Carey. So let me give you two things. Do not grow weary and do not give up. This is what Paul gives us. Don't grow weary and don't grow up. Be patiently waiting in the harvest and thwart weariness in community and I know. I know. I know because I've experienced it myself that there are days that you have your white flag waving in front of you ready to surrender. I I know that there are days where you have your towel out ready to just lay it down and say, I'm done. I don't know what it means. I'm just, I'm done. I'm weary. I'm tired. I can't, this anymore. I know we've all been there. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you're a step away from just saying, I am done with this. I'm done with this ministry assignment. I'm done praying for this person. I'm done fighting this sin. I'm done trying. I'm done trying to do this. I'm trying to to repair this relationship. I'm done trying to do this. I am done with this ministry. I'm done with this relationship. I'm done with this thing. can't think of William Carey day in, day out, faithfully preaching the gospel, believing in what the Bible teaches us, that what we reap, we will sow. And we do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season, at some point, in some way, in God's perfect timing, in some way, in his due season, we will reap if we do not give up. The first bulwark against weariness is doing it together. Together. The second bulwark against weariness is knowing that there is a sure harvest that we will reap if we do not give up. And friends, I wish with every portion of my soul that pastorally I could tell you, just do it for one more year and you'll find it. Just do it for 10 more years and you'll find it. I cannot give you that because the Bible does not give it to us. He simply says, do not grow weary in your well-doing for in his due season, At just the right time, we will reap if we do not give up. Can I tell you, I I do believe that there will come a day that due season will hit us. In the different circumstances and situations we're in, due season will come. There's a lot of circumstances that we sow into, and due season will come. And I think for many in this room who have sown seeds of the gospel into the situations and into the circumstances you've given your life, due season will come and you will look out on the fields of the harvest and there will be fruit and there will be incredible bounty from the harvest that's in front of you because you have sown the seeds into people and situations and gospels and the circumstances that you are right around. But at some point, it's possible that due season may come for you. And maybe you have not sown well. Maybe you have not watered well. Maybe you've thought at some point, maybe the, the ground will just provide fruit and maybe the ground will provide at some point and you'll look out on that due season and you'll say, there is nothing here but parched earth. That's why it's important that we believe the spiritual principle that Paul's given us that what we sow, we will reap, which will lead us to number three. While we wait, don't Stop. While we wait, do not stop. You see in verse 10, it says, so then, uh, essentially saying therefore, because of what we've just talked about, because of this, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. He's telling you, as the door opens, as the opportunity comes, as the door is open for you to take the gospel away, as the thing opens up, as you have opportunity, as the Lord leads you to a place or a circumstance or a people, do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith. As you're waiting for the due season, don't wait. Don't wait without working. Friends, sow the seeds of the gospel. Abide in the spirit of God. Sow seeds, water the seeds. While we wait, do not stop. This morning, I want to leave in the same way we left last week by asking you that all-important question. What do you want to grow? As we come to the stewardship season, it's the thought that continually rages in my mind. Mark, what do you want to grow? I pray you had conversations in your home this week. I pray that you're wrestling with and grappling what you want to grow. If you want to see a harvest of corn, eventually you have to get the ground ready and prepare the ground and be prepared for the harvest of corn. What do you want to grow, and what are the steps the Lord is leading you towards to grow, to water, and to harvest that bountiful harvest in due season? Let's pray together. Lord, would you help us? Help us to accomplish your purpose and your plan for our lives. Lord, we recognize that we need you. We recognize that we don't have this whole thing figured out. For some in this room, they are weary to the point of exhaustion, to the point of almost saying, we are ready to give up. We've been praying for people for a long time and they're still prodigal. Been praying for our boss for a long time and they're still a struggle. Been praying for so-and-so, been ministering to so-and-so, been doing this for forever and still feel lost and helpless. Or would you strengthen those that need your strengthening? Would you rise up people around us to encourage us and to cheer us on when we're ready to drop out of the race or throw in the towel? Lord, help us. We want to be a more faithful steward of all that you have entrusted to us. Keep this principle of do not that we will reap what we sow on the fronts and centers of our eyes as we go. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that I ask. Amen. As we have a time of invitation, I will invite you to respond however the Lord leads you.